That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte, who just took a nice little weekend getaway. Bones, when did you leave for that trip? I mean, that was ruthless. I left on Thursday at about 4 p.m. About 4 p.m. Got on Amtrak. Anything happened a few hours later? Right after I, or right as we were pulling into the final destination on that trip, I got a notification. Yeah? What'd that notification say? Corbin Burns is a Baltimore yeah, Oreo. It sure That's what did. it said. And I said, drat. That's what you said? Yeah. I was you said drat? Upset. I wasn't happy about it. Wow. But, uh, you know, not that I wasn't happy about the acquisition, but that I couldn't say anything on the All Access show the next day. Yeah. It was brutal. You're in a different state. But I got to be honest, I'm pumped to be here now because I've got a lot to say about Corbin, and I'm pumped that he's a Baltimore Oriole. Yeah. A lot to say on this show, and we're going to get to Corbin Burns. Last week was quite possibly the busiest 48 hours in, I don't know, Orioles offseason history, yeah. seemed like. So let's start with some of the notes from last week. First and foremost, the Orioles have a new ownership group led by, led by David Rubenstein. The Angelos family, who was the majority owner of the Baltimore Orioles, agreed to sell a control stake in the club to David Rubenstein, who is a Baltimore native. He is a globally known philanthropist, co-founder, and co-chairman of the Carlisle Group, the transaction is still subject to review and approval by Major League Baseball's ownership committee and a full vote by MLB ownership. But just in general, like we're not going to speculate over what the payroll is going to look like moving forward, what changes are going to come. There's probably a lot of hoops to jump through to get to that point. So who knows? But all we know for sure is that there seems to be a lot of optimism from all parties involved. John Angelos released a statement saying that he was, you know, excited about the partnership. The Angelos family will continue to hold a sizable investment in the Orioles. John is going to be a senior advisor to the organization. So a lot of reason for optimism. Rubenstein was excited. You've got an ownership group that includes Cal Ripken Jr. So just a, a lot of fun stuff going. Yeah, on. absolutely. Uh, the fans are excited. The organization is excited. The uh, the the new ownership group, and uh, I think Baltimore fans should be. Cal Ripken Jr.'s name yeah. is on it, which is awesome. I mean, how cool is that to have uh, an absolute bonafide legend of the game and, of course, of the organization uh, be a part of this group? It's so much fun, and I think there's a lot of uh, a, b a big, bright future for Baltimore. Yeah, so David Rubenstein will become the controlling owner of the Orioles once that transaction is closed and finalized. So we'll see what changes come to be. We don't know right now, but again, all we know for sure is that is there is a lot of optimism around this transaction, so we'll see what happens yes. in the coming weeks, coming months, and coming years. Another note to get to as well, we just saw the non-roster invitees to Orioles Big League Spring Training. I don't think anything really shocking out of the group that's there. The infielders, of course, we knew that was going to be a really exciting crew. You've got Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby among the infielders that are not on the 40-man roster that are going to be a part of big league camp. Samuel Basayo being there is really fun. I'm so excited to see him. I thought there was leaguers. a pretty good chance that we were going to see him there because he's at double-A Bowie, but again, he's still really young. I think he's going to be 19 yeah. at big league spring training, so that is going to be really exciting to see Samuel Basayo at just 19 years old 
getting some big league reps at big league camp. Yeah, I mean, that he's exciting. The infielders you mentioned as well. All these guys, uh, of course, as time has gone on, are inching closer to the big leagues. And uh, with that, we'll see some big league talent in spring training, and that'll be fun to see what they can do against those guys. Um, Holiday, of course, is the one you're looking at in terms of a chance to make the opening day roster. The other guys have a bit more of a long shot and probably won't happen. Um, but it's going to be really, really fun. Yeah, the pitcher's exciting as well. Got Cade Povich, Chase McDermott, Justin Armbruster, a couple of top 30 prospects in the Orioles system. They'll all probably be at AAA Norfolk to begin the season, but McDermott and Povich especially, two guys that we're about to talk about the starting rotation ad nauseum here for a little while. You just lost a guy in D.L. Hall yep. who was a starting option, and you have three guys in Povich, McDermott, and Armbruster that if there's injuries, if one of these guys just really performs at AAA Norfolk, they could fill a similar role to D.L. Hall yes, in absolutely. 2024. Somebody like Cade Povich, especially. I mean, lefty could be in the bullpen, has really electric stuff. If one of these guys performs well at big league camp and starts the season well at AAA Norfolk, they could move into that spot. Yeah, if they're on fire in spring training and they carry it into the beginning of the season at Norfolk absolutely we could see them on the major league roster pretty quickly. So it's almost a quasi tryout spring training for those three guys, especially to fill that DL hall road or role. Um, if Michael Elias doesn't go out and get another guy before spring training happens, I mean, we might see him go out and, and test the free agent market and try to get another arm, but sure. who knows? Um, maybe he'll just turn to one of those three guys and say, all right, it's up to you guys who wants this spot. Go get it. A couple of guys that we don't see on this list that I thought there was a chance to see, Enrique Bradfield, I thought there was an off chance that we could see him. Yes, he only spent less than half a season in the minors, but this was also a well-established college bat. Same thing with Matt Horvath. I thought there was a shot we could see those guys, but I'm sure next year we will see them. Dylan Beavers, Judd Fabian, Max Wagner. I thought there was a chance we could see those three guys. Yeah. Maybe it was just a case of, okay, they're not going to get a lot of reps at big league camp, so let's just make sure they're somewhere where they are going to get a lot at, yeah. at minor league spring I think training that with that case, the outfield, there's already an outfielders conundrum, yes. right? So adding more guys into that, like you said, there probably aren't, or isn't a lot of playing time to be given out to those guys because you've already got the conversation of who's going to be that Aaron Hicks type role on the bench. Is it going to be cows or cursed at Stowers McKenna? They've already got that to figure out. If you throw Fabian and Beavers in there, there's just no point. Yeah. And Fabian and Beavers, aren't going to be in that conversation exactly. to make the opening day roster. And like you said, when you have such a crowded outfield that you need to sort through at big league camp, adding those two guys, it's kind of unfair to Beavers and Fabian to mm -hmm. throw them in that group because you know they're not going to get the reps that they should be getting in spring training because you need to get a really close look at those four guys. So it makes sense. I think you know maybe we could see them come up for a few days, get a few reps here and there, go back down. So... We'll see if we do end up seeing them at all. But as of right now, it's still a really fun group that we're going to get to Absolutely. see. Absolutely. I agree. Another note to get to, the Orioles announced this morning a, their new coaching staffs for the minor leagues. Nothing huge of note. A couple of promotions. You've got Buck Britton, who's still in AAA Norfolk, working with Justin Ramsey, the pitching coach there that we know has been really renowned throughout the organization. So excited to have that tandem back there. In Double A, you've got Roberto Mercado, 
who goes up from single A Aberdeen to double A Bowie, gets a promotion there. Mercado last year was the winner for the development award, which goes to a minor league coach who did an excellent job there. So excited to see Roberto Mercado get a promotion to double A Bowie. And then Felipe Alou Jr. gets a promotion to single A Aberdeen and fills the role of Roberto Mercado. So excited for those guys and you know, expect nothing less than another excellent minor league season down on the farm. Absolutely. I mean, you've got uh, Norfolk was, you know, the best minor league team in all the org- or the all every system yep. last year. Uh, so take that to the bank. Buck Britain's going to do another good job, and so the rest. Let's get to Corbin Burns. All right, fine. Let's Let's I know, Burns. I know you were Lord. really just hankering to talk about some Corbin Burns here. The Orioles have a new ace, and... You thought last year that they had two guys that could get to that point in Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. The conversation all offseason long, Bones, how many times did we talk on this show about how the Orioles could and should go out and get a starting pitcher? We thought it was going to be somebody like Dylan Cease, potentially, and they go out and get somebody better. Yeah, Corbin Burns, one of I the mean, best pitchers was, in all of baseball. This was the best case scenario, right? I yeah. mean, this was the, the the situation which I don't think a lot of people thought this was possible, uh, especially for the price that Michael Elias got it for. I mean, obviously, D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz are a couple of really talented players that we've talked about a lot on this show. They're not Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns, 2021 Cy Young Award winner, three-time All-Star. This guy is a bona fide ace. Yeah. And a guy... Uh, a talent level that you need to have on your team if you are going to be successful in the playoffs. The Orioles learned that last year after getting swept by the Rangers, and Michael Elias was not going to let it happen again. He said, we're going to go get an ace, and he flipping got one. I am so excited for You're Corbin pumped. Burns to start every fifth day. Yeah. This guy, he's one of the best talents in the league. Yep. All right, You just don't get that that often. And think about it. With the current market, there aren't a lot of starting pitchers to go around. Burns was on and off the market. They were going to trade him, then they weren't going to trade him, then they were going to trade him, and now Michael Elias swooped in and got him. Orioles fans have to be rejoicing, and they are, that they have one of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball. Yeah, it's... Look, I think there's a lot of ways to talk about it. First one being, for me, you look around the rest of the American League, look in, the own, in your own division, too. You have a bunch of teams that are just really good. In Fantastic. the AL East. Yeah. It, you're in the best division in baseball, right? That's that's pretty self-explanatory. You want to look around the division. I'm not going to count the Red Sox right now. They don't really have a high-end ace. The Red Sox have had maybe not the best offseason. They just traded away Chris Sale. Not sure what point they're at right now. But the Tampa Bay Rays, Zach Eflin, is maybe not like an ace-ace, but that's a really, really high-end starting pitcher. The Blue Jays have Kevin Gossman. The New York Yankees have AL Cy Young winner Garrett Cole. In Corbin Burns, you now have somebody who can go out and be at that same tier, the Gossman-Cole tier especially, every fifth day. And I think Kyle Bradish was pushing to that point. Again, this is somebody who was fourth in AL Cy Young voting last year, had the fourth best ERA in baseball. But he didn't have the track record of somebody like Garrett Cole or Kevin Gossman. It was the first time he ever did it. Right. And now you have somebody like that. Look around the other top teams in the American League. You mentioned Texas. They had Jordan Montgomery last year. Nathan Avaldi, yep. who is known for getting it done in the playoffs. You look at Houston. Got a guy like Framber Valdez, Christian Javier. Justin two guys. Verlander. Yeah, Justin Verlander. That's a lot of good starting pitchers in the American League. And yes, Bradish and Rodriguez had that upside, but Corbin Burns is there already. 
Corbin Burns is what you are hoping Bradish and Grayson turn into down the line. Yes, and now that we're on it, I was going to bring this up later, but I can. We're happy. I'm happy to do it now. <laughs> I think that this addition puts the Orioles rotation into the top five in baseball. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could make the argument that Atlanta, L.A., the Dodgers, and the Mariners might have a better one just because they have such a glut of talent all the way around. Sure. But outside of that, it's anybody's ball game. I mean, you look within the division, the Yankees and the Blue Jays are the only teams that come close, right? The Yankees have the reigning Cy Young Award winner. Yeah, because Cole. they have Gossman and Cole. Yes, Cole, fantastic player, but so much hinges on whether or not Rodon's going to be good, whether or not Stroman's going to succeed, all that. I say they're better than the Yankees. You look at the Blue Jays, they have a really good rotation as well, but so many question marks. They have, of course, Gosman. They had a good year out of Jose Barrios last year, but the year before he was really, really bad. Had a 5-plus ERA. Uh, they had Yusei Kikuchi played incredibly well last year, but you're banking on him doing that again. Uh, and then it's Chris Bassett, who has been really, really good, but is turning 35. And then it's Alec Manoa, who fell off the face of the earth last year. Yeah, I'll take the O's, okay? I'm going to say that the O's have the best rotation in the AL East, and I think they have a top-five rotation in all of baseball. They are fantastic, and Michael Elias has put them in a position in which it's going to be really, really hard not to succeed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, Kyle Bradish, top-five in AL Cy Young voting. Grayson Rodriguez, his struggles in the first half of the season were well-documented, but he had a 226 ERA in his final dozen starts. John Means was the best pitcher on this team for a few years stretch while and the came Orioles back were last going year through and their rebuild. Really well. 266 ERA in his four starts back from Tommy John surgery last year. Dean Kramer was solid. I mean, a 13 and 5 record, a 412 ERA, as you can see if you're following along with us live on Facebook and YouTube. And then you've got Tyler Wells, who is maybe your sixth starter, could compete with Dean Kramer for that fifth spot. He was your best starter in the rotation for the he first half of great. the season. He, he was, was so good. And he's really not cracking good. the rotation right now. No. How crazy is that? And people yeah. are going to look at Dean Kramer's numbers compared to all those and say, well, he wasn't whatever. If he's your fifth starter, you'll take that every time, man. Every single time. Dean Kramer is probably on most teams a good third starter. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And right now he is an excellent fifth starter. And we're not going to... I don't want to do the... Let's talk about the playoff rotation, but in a hypothetical We're doing world. We're the playoff rotation in February. But in a hypothetical <laughs> world where last year you have this rotation against Texas, instead of going Bradish, Grayson, Kramer, you now go Burns, Bradish. You can Bradish, throw Corbin Burns at them Grayson. in game one. Oh, my goodness. That's a different feel. Yes. And, and the feel of it is something that I wanted to talk about as well because this just feels like a new era for the Orioles. It felt a very similar way to me when Adley debuted two years ago. The Orioles started off that season. They didn't have a great record. Adley comes in. They make a push towards the end of the year. They fall three games short of the American League wildcard. Yes, that season you still dealt Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini at the deadline, but the rebuild felt done. The guy who was supposed to be the cornerstone of the franchise was here. He had the best war on the team in his rookie season. Gunnar Henderson got called up at the end of that year. You saw Kyle Bradish show some flashes as well. The rebuild felt over. The guys that were the promise of the future were here, and you knew you were going to compete. And then they come out in 2023 and win 101 games, 
and fall short in the playoffs. But the rebuild was so far behind you at that point that it felt just different when you were stepping onto the field. It felt like that was a team that could compete with anybody. Coming into the offseason, you knew you had a really good team. You knew you had a clubhouse that could win 90-plus games. But the question mark was whether you were going to continue the philosophy of let's hold on to these prospects. We're going to value their development over immediate results because we want to keep our window open for as long as possible. And not that the Orioles aren't doing that, not that they're not keeping that window open, but Mike Elias and the front office have now shown a willingness and shown a belief that this team can win a World Series in 2024. Because Corbin Burns... You know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, I'm sure. But Corbin Burns has been very honest about the fact that he is excited to be a free agent. He has said that that is something that, you know, he is really proud of earning at this point in his career. And it's something that he's looking forward to. So there's a real possibility that this trade is a rental. That you get Corbin Burns for 2024 and 2024 only. And you just gave up two top 100 prospects that are MLB ready in Joey Ortiz and D.L. Hall. But you did that because you think Corbin Burns can go win you a World Series this year. That the team is good enough that a superstar starting pitcher pushes you over the top. And that's different than what we felt here in years past. We know that the prospects are a priority. You still have somebody like Jackson Holiday down on the farm that's going to come up and make an impact pretty soon, if not opening day. So, of course, you are still holding on to the top guys that you think are really going to make a difference for years and years and years down the line. But you put your chips in a little bit. Joey Ortiz is going to be a good major league player. D.L. Hall already is a good major league player. But Mike Elias in the front office said, you know what? We think we can win a World Series this year. Let's go do it. Let's go make the trade to make it happen. The Orioles have gone all in. They've gone all out to, to get the guy. They got him. And now guess what? The entire division is shaking in their boots. Oh, yeah. The Yankees fans are shocked. Aaron Boone said, and I quote, that might be a problem. Yeah. and Regarding the Corbin Burns trade. It's going to be. It's going to be a problem. Because the Orioles just got a guy who you could make the claim that is a top five pitcher in the sport. Yep. Uh, And like you said, that's all they needed. Because they already had the foundation of 101 wins that they're going to build off going into 2024. Um, this rebuild has already been massively successful. Uh, and you have to give credit, of course, to Mike Elias and everybody else that made it happen. But now they're going for a World Series and they're going all out to do it. And that's what you got to love. All right, Bones, let's move past just kind of the excitement train okay. of it and, and get into the numbers here for Sweet. Corbin Burns. As you mentioned, the last three or four years, he has been a top five pitcher in all of baseball. NL Cy Young winner in 2021 with a 243 ERA and 12.6 strikeouts per nine innings. He has four straight seasons, finishing in the top eight in NL Cy Young voting. Over his last three years, he has averaged 31 starts, a 294 ERA, a 0.994 whip, 11 strikeouts per nine, under one home run per nine, and 226 strikeouts. Over that three-year time frame, he is top five in innings, strikeouts, war, FIP, and Sierra. All of the things that matter. 
Yes. Also has a 141 ERA plus in that time. That's really good. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the guy <laughs> has been unbelievably good. Not to mention, by the way, how he's going to play beautifully at Camden Yards, where righties have a really hard time getting the ball out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. and lefties have an e- easier time doing it, because this guy makes his money terrorizing left-handed hitters. Yeah, which is weird for a right-handed pitcher, but that's what he's good at. Well... He's built for it, right? I mean, the, his pitch sequencing is is just beautiful. He throws a cutter pretty much instead of a four-seam fastball, and it's an incredible cutter that just kills lefties. He's got a sweeper, he's got a curveball, and he plays off that cutter with the sinker, right? That tunneling has got to be nuts. They've got to look like the exact same pitch until the very last second where one of them juts inside and the other one goes outside. Yeah. Kills left-handed hitters. So that's something you have to love. His righty splits aren't what you'd love to see, but it won't matter at Camden Yards because they have to hit the crap out of the ball to get it out of the ballpark. Well, I am interested to see how his splits play next year because 2023, you mentioned the splits not being great against right-handed pitching. In his career, righties have a 605 OPS and lefties have a 610 OPS. So they're both bad against Corbin He had an off year. Right. (laughs) Last year, righties were a lot better off of Burns, so I'm interested to see if there are any changes or or what changed last year to make righties a little bit better. You mentioned the sweeper. That wasn't a thing until the second half of the year. Yep. Threw a slider in the first half of the season, and it wasn't really working for him in his introductory press conference, too. He was talking about the fact that the beginning of the season, he was working through a shoulder injury a little bit. There was a series in Seattle where he got really sick. He just kind of felt off At the beginning of the season for a while, he never quite got the mechanics where he wanted them to be. And then second half of the season, he still said he was kind of off. So he was looking forward to an offseason to really start the year off on the right foot and just get a good base under him a little bit. Last year was, I guess you could say, a down year for him. He had a 339 ERA which was the worst of his previous four seasons, and he still led the National League in whip. And had 200 strikeouts. And had 200 strikeouts. as a down year. And he still had 30-plus starts. I mean, uh, come on, man. Yeah. Come on. His stat cast page, it's just red. <laughs> I, I mean, screenshot of it. I nobody it hits him. I, you're not going to hit him hard. You're not going to hit him at all. Uh, he's, he's really good. It's unbelievable. It's almost hard to, to really describe how good this guy is. Yeah. Just because he's been... He's been nearly the perfect ace over the last three seasons. Um, And he's done it for so long that it's really hard to think he's going to stop doing it anytime soon. Yeah. He's just been so good. And he's exactly what the Orioles need. His pitch mix is incredible. Lefties hit 170 against him last year. I mean, it's (laughs) perfect. Yeah, that's a joke. It's everything. His cutter, you mentioned how good it is. It's just far and away the best cutter in baseball. It's the closest thing we've seen to Mariano Rivera in a while. If you are looking at run value on StatCast, you can go through and sort by individual pitches. Corbin Burns' cutter was the best cutter in baseball by run value, according to StatCast, in 2023, and also the year before that, and also the year before that, and also the year before that. And he throws it like it's and his nobody fastball. was close. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, his run value was in like the mid-20s in his cutter, and nobody else was above 14. It's, he actually, it's his pitch mix is similar to like Philly's Roy Halladay, where the ball, he couldn't 
get the ball not to move. Everything that came out of his hand went one way or another, and that's yeah. how I feel about Corbin Burns. Every time you see him throw a pitch, he's ne- it's rarely ever going to go straight. It's going to jet left, right, curveball, slider, sweeper, change up. It's always going to have movement. It's always going to keep hitters on their toes, and it, that's what makes him so hard to hit yeah. is that the ball coming out of his hand can look like 15 different things. And it all looks like the same pitch until the last second. And that's why he's had so much success and why I think he's going to continue to have success is because he also throws it really hard. It's not like he's a crafty righty. The guy throws the ball really hard with a lot of movement. And if you're wondering why he didn't put up great numbers in 2018 and 2019 in his first two years in the league and then his numbers took off in 2020, he was throwing a four-seam fastball in 2018 and 2019. And then he started throwing a cutter in 2020. And then look what happened. Corbin Burns happened. Yeah. So, look, the Orioles have probably a top five pitcher in all of baseball. One of the stats that jumped up out to me, too, was just that he doesn't give up home runs. And as you mentioned, he was really, really good against lefties last year. And a left-handed hitter is going to have the most power success at Camden Yards. Last year, Burns gave up 25 home runs. If he pitched all of his games at Camden Yards, which isn't going to happen in a normal season, even though he's with the Orioles now, but if he had theoretically pitched all of his games at Camden Yards, he would have given up 18 home runs. Yeah, that's wild. 18. It's not a lot. Yeah, you'll, you'll certainly take that. The big thing with Burns, and we will talk about the trade here. He is entering his age 29 season, and he has one more year of team control left before he hits free agency. As I mentioned, he has been very vocal about the fact that he is excited to get the opportunity to pick where he wants to play for the rest of his career. He has said that that is something that players work towards in their career. He is very proud to be at that moment. That doesn't mean that there is not a chance he resigns in Baltimore. You mentioned that he had an interview the other day where he said, yeah, you know, like if those negotiations happen and there's a great contract that I can't say no to. I'm not going to say no to re-signing. There's a chance that he's in Baltimore. He loves the clubhouse. The team wins a lot of games, has some playoff success. And he says, yes, this is a place I want to be. I had a great year and I want to keep that rolling. So I'm not going to say that there's not a chance that the Orioles don't re-sign him. But I would be surprised if it happens before he hits free agency. Yeah, I think the extension, I mean, unless he loves the place right as he shows yeah. up, which what's there not to love? But I, I would be pretty surprised if it happened before the offseason. And that's not an Orioles thing. That's, that's a just baseball a, thing. That's yeah. a taking what Corbin Burns has said. Yeah, also, you, you know, like, like we've mentioned a couple times now, he's been more vocal than I think most players in recent history have been about wanting to hit free agency. And I think that yeah. probably comes from the experience he had in Milwaukee where many times he did not agree to a contract before arbitration, having to go through that arbitration process. Um, and a, a very say, publicly not great arbitration yes. process in Milwaukee, by the way, where yeah. the Brewers essentially like blamed him for a lack of playoff success, and even though he has been pretty good in his <laughs> career, good. in those yeah, <laughs> so it, just kind of not the best situation in Milwaukee. So we'll see if that ends up changing in Baltimore. By the way, one final stat about Burns I want to throw out: he has 27 games against American League teams in his career. He's 12 and two. With a 2.56 ERA, wow. a WHIP of .88, and a 178 opponent opposing batting average. Dang, dude, that's not a small sample yeah, size. It's I, that's not a full season. That's a full season against that's American League wild. teams. That's crazy. Yeah. So 
we will see what ends up happening with Corbin Burns and a possible extension here down the line. Could be wrong. Maybe it happens during the season if Burns has a lot of success here and the team has a lot of success. The Orioles have a pretty strong pitch to bring him back long-term. And we talked about it a lot when we were first talking about which pitcher could the Orioles trade for. Are you going to trade for Corbin Burns or Dylan Cease or Shane Bieber? And not to take a victory lap here, Bones, but we each said on that show that if there was one pitcher we would trade for and hopefully look to extend, it would be Burns. I know, hot take from us, right? Hot take from <laughs> Sure, not, not a scorching take from us, but... Yeah, we, hey, we, we were on it. We, we were on take it. our wins when we get them, man, yeah. and I'll take it. So let's talk about the trade itself and what the Orioles gave up. He gave up two prospects. He also gave up the 34th pick in the MLB draft. I think that 34th pick is kind of an underrated part of this deal just because of what we know that means to a team like the Orioles that has had so much success in the draft. And yes, they've had the number one overall pick a few times and gotten guys like Adley Rutschman and Jackson Holiday with that number one overall pick. But don't forget that Gunnar Henderson was a second round pick. Yes. So number 34 in the draft is not insignificant. So here was what I was thinking about that. That pick is so much more valuable in the hands of the Orioles than it is in anybody else's hands. Yep. Right? Like, sure, that's a high, that's a pretty high pick. Considering Brewers have been a good drafting I mean, team. No as well. shade to the Brewers. I'm just saying the Orioles are okay giving that up, knowing that. It was an extra pick. That was the Gunnar Henderson Rookie of the Year pick, correct? Yep. So they got that pick because Gunnar won Rookie of the Year. I'm not sure if it was that pick exactly. It was either that one or 36. It was or in the that range. One. Yeah, so yeah. it's an extra pick regardless. Um, so it's not like they lost their first, you know? They sure. still they, they hold on to their regular first, and I believe they have another compensatory pick anyway. They do. So it's really not losing a lot, but that pick in the hands of the Orioles is a lot more valuable than it is in any or other organization's hands just because, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. You look at the Orioles minor league system and you see that they've done so, so well at the MLB draft. And, you know, that pick probably would have turned into another good player. But I think Orioles fans and, and everybody is, is pretty happy with that turning into Corbin Burns instead. Yeah, a lot of excitement in our comments on YouTube and Facebook about this Corbin Burns trade. Thank you for following you. along. If you are listening after the fact, make sure you come and listen to us live at 11 a.m. every Wednesday. YouTube, Facebook, all those good yes. things. Let's talk. About, I, don't, I don't know why I lost that for a second. <laughs> Let's talk about what the Orioles gave up for Corbin Burns okay. in Joey Ortiz and D.L. Hall, the players. In Joey Ortiz, you had the number 63 prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. We've talked about Ortiz a lot because there was an off-season just massive question mark around Ortiz because he was too good to keep playing at AAA Norfolk. He hit over 320 last year and plays elite defense at shortstop. Yes. Michael Elias has said on multiple occasions that Joey Ortiz is probably the best defensive shortstop in this system, which is a system that includes Gunnar Henderson, who is a gold-glove caliber shortstop, and Jackson Holiday, who could be one as and well. And Jorge Mateo. And Jorge Mateo, who, again, was a gold-glove caliber shortstop. So, Joey Ortiz, he didn't really have a defined role on this team, but this is still a really good prospect. The issue there is that he had to contend with Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, Jackson Holiday, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, and then probably at his heels, you had Connor Norby and Kobe Mayo who could all play some combination of second base, shortstop, 
third base. All of those guys would fill at least one of those roles. So you lost a good piece that probably this year in the big leagues would have been a rotational depth piece in a similar role to Ramon Arias or to Jorge Mateo. But you have a lot of other prospects that fill a very similar role or just guys in Mateo and Arias that kind of do similar things. So I I think you're going to feel this loss, but I don't think you're going to feel it a ton in 2024. No. Maybe down the line more so if you don't have Mateo and Arias. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there's so much depth there that I don't think... I mean, I think there's a good chance you never feel... There's never a point where you're like, man, I really wish you know there was another guy here. Just because there's so many guys, and it's no shade to Joey Ortiz. No, and if I think things, he's a really talented player, and I think he's going to be starting for Milwaukee pretty darn soon. Um, but there's just so much talent in Baltimore and in the system that I just don't think that he was a guy that was crucial to the team's success right now. Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz were on pretty similar tracks for a while. Jordan Westberg just flat out showed more last year. Yes. He came up and, and he played really well, and Ortiz played yeah. less well. And I think if all things go well in 2024, you probably don't need Joey Ortiz to play a lot of games. Because if you're looking at a starting infield, assuming that everything goes according to plan, that there's no injuries, which isn't going to be the case, I'm sure, but in a hypothetical world where yeah. you know everybody is getting through 2024 scot-free... Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday, Jordan Westberg is probably your everyday infield. Yes. With Joey Ortiz maybe in there as a rotational piece, but swap out Ortiz with Mateo and Arias, and you've got five infielders, yep. five very good infielders. Mm -hmm. So taking Ortiz out of that group, you're really probably just giving more reps to Mateo been, and Arias. I think it probably would have been another long year in AAA for Ortiz. Yeah. Of him mashing at AAA going, there's nothing I can do. I would imagine. Yeah. A and taking Ortiz out of the equation, you've probably just removed a roadblock for Jackson Holiday. Not that Ortiz would have blocked yeah, Holiday, but yeah. I do think it's potentially part of the conversation when we make our opening day roster predictions. Yes. Because if you don't 100% know that Holiday is going to be a starter You knew Ortiz day, had MLB, town, or MLB right. uh, experience. Ortiz had proved it a little bit more at, at higher levels of the minor leagues. It probably blocks a roadblock for Connor Norby because Ortiz can play some second base as well. Probably blocks a roadblock for, excuse me, takes out a roadblock for Kobe Mayo mm -hmm. because Ortiz can it's play third base. It's just one less guy to worry about in front of you. Right. Um, and I think or like Ortiz is talented enough to start from an MLB team tomorrow. And he's probably gonna, he would, yeah. he's probably the Brewers opening it's, day, it's, third baseman. Yeah, it's, and then know. in a year when Willie Adamas leaves in free agency, he's their opening day shortstop. Yeah, I think so. Um, cause that infield is Bryce Terang, Ortiz and Adamas. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably Ortiz at third. I think the one that you're going to feel more in 2024 is DL Hall. Absolutely. DL Hall last year was one of your most reliable relief arms what a down the stretch. A 326 ERA in 18 games out of the bullpen. The biggest thing here is that Michael Elias has been adamant about the fact that they viewed D.L. Hall as a starter down the line. And who knows what the plan for D.L. Hall would have been this year. Elias said that more than likely he probably starts the season in the bullpen. For a 101-win Orioles team that's looking to really compete and make the playoffs 
you were talking about the fifth starter spot before they acquired Corbin Burns. You were talking about Tyler Wells and DL Hall as the two guys that could fill that role. And we were both thinking Tyler Wells because Tyler Wells was the best starter in this rotation for the first half of the season last year. And DL Hall, in the few starts that he had, was unproven. Now, of course, you know, he has a really high upside. And if you gave him more starts, he could blossom into a really solid starting pitcher. But you hadn't seen it yet from DL Hall. So is a team that just won 101 games going to give DL Hall 10 starts? I don't know. In a crowded rotation where you are trying to make a playoff push, are you going to let DL Hall work through those struggles if the long-term goal really is to make him a starting pitcher? Yeah. Are you going to give him the 10, 12 starts necessary to see if that can come to fruition? The timelines just didn't match up for the yeah. Orioles and for DL Hall. And you know what? If he wanted to be... If, if all parties involved were like, okay, DL, we're happy with you being a setup guy or a really just a late-inning guy, I think it could have worked out. But I think both sides know that he has the potential to be a starter. Um, and who knows what the Brewers do with him, but we've talked about him on this podcast having similar uh, potential to a Josh Hader type. Yeah. A guy lefty with electric stuff, and guess where he's going is Milwaukee, where Josh Hader got, you know, incredibly talented um and maybe that's what they do with him there maybe they make him uh, an elite starter there who knows but i just don't think that the orioles timeline matched up with that of the what dl needed to work through those growing pains like you mentioned uh, and that's probably why he was out the door now that does leave a hole in the bullpen because the orioles lose a left-handed pitcher and you know this Division just got one of the best left-handed bats in the last 20 years in Juan Soto, and I think Mike Elias uh, and his group probably wants another arm uh, to replace him, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, I think D.L. Hall is going to be a starter in Milwaukee. I would be surprised if he's not. It's, yeah, me too. It's not a great rotation there right now without Corbin Burns, without Brandon Woodruff. Uh, their number two starter right now, I think, is Wade Miley. So I, I would Jansen Junk's in there somewhere. Yeah, in there somewhere. So I would imagine that the Brewers try to start out D.L. Hall. I, I think so, too. I think he's in the rotation. Yeah. With, they have they, they are in a position to give him that time, too. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, again, happy for Joey Ortiz, happy for D.L. Hall, that they are now in situations where they're probably going to get the exact big league development that they deserve because these are two fantastic prospects that were in the Orioles system for a while. We had talked about them for so long. It's sad to see them go obviously, but you need to give up good players to get somebody the caliber yeah. of Corbin Burns. But excited to see what Joey Ortiz can do in a probably close to everyday big league role. Excited to see what D.L. Hall can do as a uh, starting pitcher. And hopefully this is just a win-win trade where Ortiz and Hall turn into good big league players yes. and Corbin Burns brings the Orioles a lot of big league success. In terms of the bullpen, I am interested to see if the Orioles are going to go out and look for a left-handed reliever, they don't necessarily need one. I think when you're looking at the back end of the bullpen, you've got Danny Coulomb, who you're comfortable with in high-leverage situations. Cienal Perez, you're comfortable with as well. Other lefties that could work into that conversation, I think you have a lot of internal options. You have yeah. Cole Irvin, who can be a long man out of the bullpen, can make some spot starts if you need him one to. One of those guys who can pitch a ton of innings out of the bullpen. Nick Vespi, too. He just puts up unbelievable numbers at AAA Norfolk year in and year out. Hasn't found a ton of success so far at the big league level, but he's still pretty young. So I think 
with those two guys, you have two pretty solid left-handed options out of the bullpen. I wouldn't necessarily call it a need to fill somebody, to have somebody fill that DL Hall role. It wouldn't hurt yeah. to get another high leverage lefty. You mentioned Juan Soto joining the division. That's certainly an X factor when you're looking at some talented left-handed hitters in this division. So it's a possibility. I don't think it's necessarily a 100% need. And you got Povich too, who yep. could potentially come up and be a starter slash long relief guy. Um, so that's something to, to keep an eye on. But Keegan Aiken as well. Yes, not Keegan a lefty. Aiken also uh, could be in that mix. So they have options. Absolutely, they have options. And Bruce Zimmerman too. But in general with this trade, I think you lose two guys that you will feel the impact of in 2024 and will more than likely feel the impact of not having years down the line. I would imagine that you probably feel D.L. Hall's absence more than you would feel somebody like Joey Ortiz's. But you didn't give up any of your top five prospects. I was pretty sure that in a deal for Corbin Burns, you were going to lose somebody like Colton Kowser or Heston Kerstad. I Kerstatt. immediately thought I was going to see Kowser or Kerstad. Yeah, because those are two names that have been tossed out a lot. They're two really high-end talents. I was pretty sure that Holiday and Basayo and maybe even Mayo were... Yeah, well, I was positive that Holiday was Those have got to be untouchables, Basayo and Holiday. Basayo and Mayo, I think, have maybe started to work their way into that pretty close to untouchable yeah. range. But uh, You'd have to offer a lot to get Basayo, yeah, I, mean, I think, at this point. But I was worried about Kowser and Kerstad yeah, me too. in a deal like this. Also, with them being closer to mid-20s nowadays, I think they're pretty attractive prospects for a team that could plug and play kind of thing because, you know, they've developed, they, they've pretty much reached full development in the minor leagues and they could probably start for a lot of teams right now. So I thought definitely you'd see one of those two guys. Yeah, and look, credit to Michael Elias in this front office for finding a trade Absolutely. that worked. I would imagine trading that uh, compensatory pick probably helped them not have to give up somebody oh, sure. like Kowser Absolutely. or Kerstad because you give up Ortiz and D.L. Hall and the number 34 pick in the draft can realistically turn into a top 100 prospect within a couple of years after being drafted. Assuredly. So you've given up three good assets, but in return, you get one of the best pitchers in baseball. And the focus around the Orioles and the conversation around the Orioles, I think very solidly has now switched from... Was this a team that overperformed a little bit last year? You know, maybe they get back to the 90-ish win mark in 2024, but they don't really have the star power, firepower to make a playoff push. You're now looking at a team that could, don't want to talk about playoffs again, but if you <laughs> are looking at September down the line and you're looking at other top teams in the American League, you want to talk about firepower? You have Corbin Burns. Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez showed so many excellent flashes last year, and you're now hopefully going to see two full, healthy seasons and have those two guys establish a track record. You have two potential AL MVP candidates in Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson if they play up to their full potential. Jackson Holiday, from everything we have heard, is a superstar in the making. Cedric Mullins is a few season off seasons from a 30-30 season. Anthony Santander's 30 home runs waiting to happen. You have star power All the pieces that you need there. for the playoffs. This is a World Series caliber team. Absolutely, and I think that the rest of the league knows it too. Yeah, the AL East is certainly worried about it from everything that we have heard from, again, guys like Aaron Boone. The Orioles are a problem, 
And Corbin Burns just pushes them to a new level of really good. Of top-tier baseball. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was an exciting 40 minutes. I mean, how can you not get excited for the 2024 season when you've got an ace trotting out every fifth day, Bradish and Rodriguez behind him. I mean, great guys up and down the lineup. It's it's one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And how about Bradish? Good guy giving away his number. Good guy, Kyle Bradish. <laughs> Switching to number 38, gives Corbin Burns number Just 39. Way to go, Kyle. Yeah, this is a nice guy. Good move. I and mean, man, if we weren't excited to go to spring training before. I'm so pumped. Whew. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's going to be great, and we hope that all of you are excited for spring training just around the corner. We're going to see these players in action this month. Wow. First spring training a game. a couple weeks. February 24th. Bones and I will be down in Sarasota giving you hopefully the best coverage we can from the 18th to the 23rd. We'll be there for about a week. We're going to talk to a whole bunch of guys, and we will bring you all of our coverage on our Mass and Orioles social pages Thank you so much for commenting along on YouTube and Facebook. This was a really fun show. We were really excited to bring it to you. Make sure you're following along live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook, or you can catch us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or your digital shows. You can catch myself and Matt Bonaparte on the Bird's Nest. We've got the Hot Stove Show rolling as well. It's going to roll into the spring training report here in a couple of weeks. That's every Thursday. Make sure you're tuning into that as well. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes for producing this one. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brendan Mortensen, and we'll catch you next time.